0: So on the back of your bulletin are the notes for the sermon, but you don't need those today because God's led me to take a different direction. If you do have the app, they are on there. I had planned to preach today about biblical money management. We've been in a series on gospel generosity, but with all that's happened in the world this week with Hamas attacking and brutally killing Jews in Israel, the worst slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust... I know it's raised a lot of questions about Israel. Where do they fit into the plan of God? How should we understand these people and this situation from a biblical perspective? So I prayed and struggled for the last 48 hours and believe that I'm to put aside the plan message and give you a special message today that I just put together in the last 48 hours called God's Plan for Israel, God's Heart for Israel, and for you. So let's pray. Lord, my heart is heavy. And, um, but I'm so thankful that your word is true and its promises are everlasting and that you don't keep us in the dark on these matters. And I just pray for clarity and for understanding, for anointing, power of the Holy Spirit to just be present. God, I pray for that. what's happening in the Middle East. I pray justice. I pray that you would quickly bring an end to evil. I pray that you'd bring peace. You, you command us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray for civilians caught in the middle, and I pray for salvation. Pray that you'd bring many to faith in Christ through what's happening. I pray for our world leaders and our national leaders to have wisdom and what our role should be. And uh, we thank you that we have Jesus. And I pray now that you give clarity and. And that, uh, most importantly, every person in this room and watching online, as a result of this message, will be radically right with you. So we ask now for your spirit to take this time and use it according to your will, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I have seven points. That's the perfect number, so I thought that'd be appropriate. Number one, God established the Jewish people in his covenant with Abraham. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12. And I'm reading out of the NIV today. I just happened to grab my NIV Bible instead of my ESV. Not intentionally. It's just that way. But Genesis 12 uh, is where we're going to start today. And uh, so many people, man, so encouraged by first service today. So many people said, I just had no clue about a lot of this. And this brought so much understanding and clarity and gives me kind of a, a, a perspective on, on, on things. Um, so in Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Say great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What we have here is the birth of the Jewish people. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God says that he is going to call them his chosen people, not because of anything of themselves, but because of God. Deuteronomy 7, he says, I'm choosing you because I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you not because you're anything special, but because I'm special, and I'm choosing you, and it's my sovereign work, case closed. It was to show God sovereignty, his grace, and his mercy. This is how the Jewish people started was God's covenant with Abraham. But don't forget that Abraham first had, Abraham and Sarah first had Ishmael. and This is what brought about the Arab nations and ultimately Muslims who are very opposed to the Jews. Two nations at odds. This explains much of the conflict in the Middle East and why some like Hamas can be so brutal in their evil and hatred of the Jewish people. By the word, the word Hamas is a Hebrew word. It's found all throughout the Old Testament, and it means violence. Number two, God gave his people the land of Israel. Genesis 12, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. Say this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. In chapter 15, verse 18. Now, let me give you a little background before I read this passage. In the Old Testament, God was a covenant-keeping God. And there's a phrase that is used in the Old Testament called cut covenant. The way of a covenant is an agreement between two or more persons. Cutting covenant, the way they did this in the Old Testament was they would take an animal and cut it in half. And they'd lay the carcasses of the animal and the two people cutting covenant would walk between the two pieces of the animal, basically saying, may happen to me what happened to this animal if I break covenant. You know this is, this is, this is the background for the wedding ceremony. When you have the bride's side and the groom's side, and the couple goes down the middle. They're cutting covenant. It's not, it's not a contract, hello, it's a covenant. And, and, and so, till death do us part... You're basically, when you, when you make a covenant, you're saying, may happen to me what happens to that animal if I break covenant. Now, we're going to see God cutting covenant in Genesis 15, and he's the only one who's passing through the, through the dead animal. God is saying, may happen to me what happens to this animal if I break covenant, and God can't die. God is sealing his word in this covenant-keeping ceremony. Now, some covenants in the Old Testament was two people walking between. Those are called conditional covenants. But this is an unconditional covenant. God is saying it's going to happen <laughs> because I'm swearing by myself. Genesis 15, verse 18. Actually, let's start at 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. In other words, God's fiery presence. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said... To your descendants I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Canaanites, Kitozites, and he lists all the others. And basically he's, he's putting the parameters of the land and he's saying, it's yours forever. Genesis 17:8. Genesis 17:8. The whole land of Canaan, now, that's basically what you know as modern-day Israel plus some other places. It's, it's, it's broader than modern Israel, but it certainly includes modern Israel. 17 the whole land of Canaan, where you are an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So as you recall, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. God delivered them through the blood of the Passover lamb, and after a period in the wilderness, he gave them this land that he promised. Because God gave it to his people, Satan has done everything he can to oppose this, and thus Israel has been the most contested land in all of human history. In Genesis 17, God is reiterating the promise to Abraham, adding that the land gift is irrevocable. It is everlasting. Think about it. The land of Israel is not only at the literal center of the world. Look at this map. Isn't it interesting that the land of Israel is literally at the center of the world? But this is, more importantly, it has been the center of so much of God's work in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. And we'll talk later about prophetic Future events. Think about it with me. The wall of Jericho coming down, Israel. The building of the temple, Jerusalem. King David's reign, Israel. The messages of the prophets, Israel. Jesus was born where? Bethlehem. Jesus grew up where? Nazareth. Jesus' ministry was where? Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. Jesus sweating drops of blood, where? Been there three times. Garden of Gethsemane in Israel. Jesus crucified and rose again, where? Jerusalem in Israel. Jesus ascended, where? Israel. The disciples' ministry started and went out from where on the day of Pentecost? Israel. Acts 1 and 8. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Where is so much of biblical prophecy going to take place? Israel. Turn, if you would, to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah is the second to last book of the Old Testament, right before Malachi. We have a Wednesday night class right now teaching through the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah 14, about a future event, it says, A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to where? To where? To where? You guys don't have your Bibles open. Make sure you turn to Zechariah chapter 14. I will gather all the nations to where? Thank you. Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured. The houses ransacked and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. If you think God Almighty is some whimsy, sissy, pansy God who can't stand up for himself, you are looking at the wrong God. I'm telling you, at times he goes to battle. And this is one of those. On that day, His God, this is Jesus' second coming, feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. I've been there. East of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. This is the return of our Lord Jesus. If that's not enough, Revelation 21 calls the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. So when we see a war in Israel... We should wake up and take notice and read our Bibles a little more carefully. I'm at the Golden Pantry this morning, and I say to the woman who's going to take my uh, money for my uh, biscuits and gravy that I do every Sunday morning, along with a beautiful apple turnover that they make fresh. This is my Sunday ritual. This is one of the ways that I keep the Sabbath holy. (laughs) And as I'm about to pay her, I said, by the way, I was just curious, what do you think about what's happening in the Middle East? She said, it makes me scared. I said, you know, it's talked about a lot in the Bible. She said, I've heard people say that. I said, yeah, you should read Luke 21. Bye. And I left. (laughs) But what we see is that God's past, present, and future work has been largely in Israel. In Matthew 23, verse 37, we see a little of the heart of Jesus when he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets, how I long to gather you. And all of this is why I believe Genesis 12 still applies today. Those who bless Israel will be blessed. And those who curse Israel will be cursed. This is why I personally believe one of the reasons God has blessed this great nation is because of our support of Israel. In Matthew 23, 37, again, Jesus said, I long to gather you. In Revelation 20, verse 9, Jerusalem is called the city God loves. Now, keep in mind, just so you understand Scripture accurately, when you see the word Israel in the Old Testament, and it's all over the Old Testament, it's usually referring to God's people. And remember that in Genesis 32, 28, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and He changed Jacob's name to Israel. So many times when you see Israel, He's referring to His covenant people. His covenant people. Number three. God's work with Israel in the Old Testament was all a foreshadowing of Jesus. I love this. We've talked here about hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is a seminary word for how you interpret the Bible. There are different hermeneutical methods, different methods of interpretation. For example, how do you interpret the parables? Do You interpret Proverbs the same as you interpret Galatians. So there's important principles of hermeneutics that every believer needs to understand. Well, I say the best hermeneutics of the Old Testament is what I call a Jesus hermeneutics. <laughs> if Jesus interpreted something a certain way from the Old Testament, I think it's, it's, you can go to the bank with that. Uh, I would never doubt Jesus' hermeneutics. Do you agree, William? I don't know if they used that term when you went to Asbury. They didn't use it at Trinity, but they should have. Jesus hermeneutics. I'm all about Jesus hermeneutics. Well, in, in Luke 24, Jesus said all, say all, All that was written in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms is about whom? Me. Say, what? The flood, it was about you? Yeah. Uh, The covenants were about you? Yeah. Uh, The ark and the temple? Yeah. Yeah. It's all pointing to Jesus. He said that. And that was their threefold division of the Old Testament. They divided the Old Testament, the law, the books of the law, that's the first five books, Moses' books, the prophets, minor prophets, major prophets, and the Psalms. Those were the poetic books. Jesus said it's all about him. Jesus came to tabernacle among us, John 1. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, Galatians 3. Jesus is the temple. (laughs) He's the holy of holies. Jesus is the ultimate high priest, Hebrews 4. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Woo! Jesus is the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 700 B.C. Come on. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They have pierced my hands and my feet. A thousand B.C. Isaiah 9 and 6, you will call this child, a wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, and the government will rest on his shoulder. Whoa, Isaiah seven fourteen, and a virgin shall give birth to a child, and you'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. Every messianic prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. You say, how can that be? Because the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible and the Holy Spirit knows past, present, and future so he can say something here about the future and it'll happen just the way he said here about the future because he knows everything. Is that your God? Is that your God? Do you believe this book is inspired by the Holy Spirit? You better because it is. You say, well, I don't believe it. Doesn't matter what you believe, it is true. Well, I don't think Jesus is coming back. Doesn't matter what you think, he's coming back. You know, well, I think there's many ways to God. Jesus said, one way, you're wrong, he's right. You better get right. His word is true. It has been fulfilled. It is being fulfilled. And it is going to be fulfilled. Hallelujah. (laughs) And he's the only one who, because of his blood, could bring the new and the better covenant, replacing the old covenant with his blood. Everything, listen, everything in the Old Testament, everything God did with Israel was a foreshadowing of Jesus, pointing to Jesus, giving a foretaste of glory divine. (laughs) He fulfilled it all. And this is why, number four, salvation is only through Jesus. One of the most common questions I get asked is, will Jews go to heaven? Yes, if they receive Christ, <laughs> it's a simple answer. There's no separate plan of salvation for Jews. There's no separate plan of salvation for Jews. There's no separate plan of salvation for Southern Americans. Well, my dad was the deacon and the founding member of such and such church, and my grandfather was a leader in this denomination. Who cares? That's not going to get you to heaven, brother. (laughs) God's going to judge you and your heart and did you come to Jesus for salvation. You can't get in on the shirt tail of anybody. Come on. So this applies to every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. So turn to Romans 10. This is why Paul has such a burden for the Jewish people. He was Jewish. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was was trained. He knew the law. He had gone through all the hoops and hurdles. David Holt, son of a Lutheran pastor, baptized as a baby, confirmed, acolyte, crucifer. I jumped through all the hoops, and I was lost. (laughs) I didn't know Jesus. I was religious. Paul was religious, but he didn't have a relationship with Jesus until he got saved through faith in Christ alone. And so he understood this better than anybody. Romans 10, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. If there was a separate plan of salvation, if they got in because they were Jews and didn't need to come to Christ, he would have never written this. Verse 2, For I can testify about them. They're zealous for God. Folks, you can be zealous for God and be zealously wrong. You can have a passion. You can can do all the stuff, all the religious stuff, and be wrong and lost and go to hell. Because your works do not save you. Only one thing saves you, the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. He says their zeal is not based on knowledge. See? Zeal, passion, religion alone does not save you. Verse 3, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God... They sought to establish their own, see? Oh, I don't need Jesus. I'll I'll just be religious. I'll just do these good works. I'll just obey all the laws of the Old Testament. Doesn't do it. Therefore, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Then verse 4, love this. Christ is the end of the law. (laughs) We're going to get into this when I preach through Galatians starting in a few weeks. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Beloved, Christ is the end of the law because he fully met the law, he was the holy sacrifice, and when you receive Christ, you become righteous as if you obeyed every one of the laws. Did you hear that? When you get saved, you get the righteousness of Jesus imputed into you. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God sees you as if you had obeyed every law because you're righteous in the sight of God, not based on what you do, but based on what he did. That's the good news of the gospel. Hallelujah. That ought to cause you to jump up and shout and do a backflip. But not right now. All right, turn to Galatians 3. Galatians 3, verse 26. It's very similar to what he just said in in, in Romans 10. His his heart for the Jews to get saved. So in Galatians 3, 26, 26, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ. You clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. In other words, your salvation is not based on your ethnicity or your gender, male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Hallelujah. No special pass for any group of people. You must be saved through Jesus. This is why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is why Acts 4 and 12 says there's salvation in no other name. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And this is why Romans 1 and 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, then to the Greek. What did he mean by that? It meant that the Jews got it first because they were the ones that were around at Pentecost. And they understood the Old Testament. And so they had first opportunity but then it extended to the Gentiles. And so it's for everyone. God's arms are open, you guys. He doesn't want anyone to perish. There'll be people of every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. He wants all to come. He wants the Muslims to come. He wants Hamas to come. He wants the Palestinians to come. He wants the Chinese to come. He wants the Southerners to come. He wants the Midwesterners to come. He wants those from in Indonesia and all over the world. He desires all to come to repentance. And it's amazing because in, in, in Romans 11 verse 20, it speaks of Jews being the people of God in the Old Testament, connected to the root, that's God. But then it says they're broken off through unbelief. And so they were the people of God in the Old Testament. They were the covenant people of God. But Romans 11:20 makes it very clear in these other passages that if you don't believe, then you're broken off. So they're no longer children of God if they don't receive Christ. And then it's fascinating what Peter did in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 11. He uses all this this Old Testament uh, language about the covenant people of God, but he uses it to refer to us. He says, you in Christ are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You were once not the people of God, now you are the people of God. Every one of those phrases he quotes a different Old Testament passage about the Jewish people. So, does that mean that... Oh, let me show you one other verse. Romans 2. Go to Romans 2, please. Romans 2, verses 28 and 29. This is good. I mean, it's all good, but... It's <laughs> kind of dangerous if you say, this, this verse is really good, like the others aren't. <laughs> Romans two, twenty-eight. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code, in other words, laws, do's and don'ts. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. So when God cut covenant with Abraham, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. And what he's saying here is that the circumcision that you really need to be a child of God is the circumcision of the heart. What's that mean? It means your old nature is cut away. Your sin is cut away by the work of Jesus, and not only that, you get a new heart and a new spirit when you get saved. That's the circumcision that matters to God. It's no longer an ethnic thing. It's no longer a fleshly thing. It's a heart thing, and if you come to Christ, you become at that moment a child of God. So, that all that said, is God done with Israel? Has the church completely replaced Israel? I don't believe so. Point number five, Israel is part of God's future plan, and the future is now. (laughs) We don't have time to go into this, but there are many prophecies concerning the end times that refer to God's plan for the Jewish people. We'll get into that some under point number six. But what I'm dealing with here is this doctrine called replacement theology. How many of you are familiar with replacement theology? If not, it's okay. Only a handful. I'm not a replacement theology person. Some believe that that the church completely replaces Israel, which it does in terms of salvation, but they believe they take that a step further and say God is done with the Jewish people, and I don't agree with that. So again, we're not talking salvation. Let me be clear. There is no salvation for Jews apart from Jesus. I've made that very clear. So in terms of salvation, yes, you could say we replace Israel as the people of God in terms of a covenant, salvific relationship. At the same time, I see many scriptures that would indicate God is not done with the Jewish people, and they are very near and dear to his heart, and we'll get into that in a minute. Now, a huge passage for me and not being a replacement theology person is Romans 11:26. 26. Turn to that. By the way, as you turn to Romans 11, I had Doug Moo at Trinity. Doug Moo has written what many considered the premier commentary on the book of Romans, and they asked Doug Moo once, what is the most difficult verse in all of Romans? William, what do you think Doug Moo would have said? What, what do most people... I'm, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but most people would, would probably go to what in Romans as being some of the most, one of the most challenging passages? A lot of times about Romans 1, the oh, okay, I hadn't thought of that. Can you pull something from Romans 9? I'll do it for you. I'm sorry. This is putting you on the spot too much. But in Romans 9, is where he says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And it's the whole chapter on election, predestination. And basically, you ask a valid question, and it says, who are you to talk back to God? And you're like, excuse me for asking. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just a crazy chapter. If you want to know how I treated it, go back when I preached through Romans a couple of years ago. Anyway, he said, Romans eleven twenty six 26 is the hardest verse. Doug Moo. So give me some grace here. If, if you don't agree with my view. And it basically says, and so all Israel will be saved. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godliness away from Jacob. On this, my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So it's this whole phrase, what does it mean all Israel will be saved? It certainly doesn't mean that all Jews will come to Christ. Here's what I believe. I believe it means all the elect Jews will get saved. All the predestined Jews will get saved. All those that God has called to himself, will come to Christ. And so he talks later in Romans 11. He says they were a part of the root. They were broken off because of unbelief. They didn't embrace Jesus. They can be grafted back in through embracing Jesus. That's what he says in Romans 11. Thus, all Israel will be saved. In other words, all who do come to Christ will be grafted back in to the root and thus become a true child of God. Okay? For example, I believe that once the church is raptured, now that's a whole nother sermon, probably in another series. Are you pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture? In any case, whichever view of the rapture you take, I believe that when the church is raptured away from earth, they're called up, that the particularly Jewish people who have not been saved are going to see tangibly Christianity was real. This stuff that I've heard about is true. I better read my New Testament. I better really look into Jesus, and I think we're going to see a mass conversion of Jewish people when the church is raptured. Furthermore, because so much end time Bible prophecy is going to happen in Israel, where you have many Jews living, passages like Zechariah 12, they will look on whom they will look on him whom they've pierced. Okay. Now, one more thing here. Turn to Isaiah 66, 8. As you're turning to Isaiah 66, 8, let me remind you that on May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation. This was a prophetic game changer. Who has heard of such a thing? Listen to Isaiah 66, verse 8, many for years thought, how in the world could this be fulfilled? It says, who has ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such things? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Well, that's exactly what happened on May 14, 1948, when Israel became a nation. This, this statement by the prophet Isaiah is a prophetic prediction concerning the future miraculous birth of the nation of Israel by Almighty God in the last days. Israel was indeed born in a single day. Listen closely. On May 14, 1948, and many professors and serious students of the Bible prophecy believe on that day, the clock of the last days began its final countdown. Oh, I love that phrase. I actually stole it from somebody. The day the clock of the last days began began its final countdown. So this leads to number six. God's eschatological plan is increasingly being fulfilled. Eschatology is a a fancy term for things of the future, things of the end times. Many end time prophecies are being fulfilled today. Now listen closely. The stage is being set for a one world government. The rise of what the Bible calls the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 1, many passages speak of the Antichrist. He will acquire a following because he will appear to be a peaceful ruler at first who brings everyone together, perhaps under the banner of multiculturalism, inclusion, and other ideologies that can sound very good and moralistic until you realize everyone does not think the same and everyone does not stand on the same moral ground. And there is a thing called evil, beloved, that would cause a Hamas group to inflict death and violence and atrocities against the Jewish people on a level we haven't seen since the Holocaust. Be not deceived. The spirit of Satan and the spirit of Ishmael are behind these acts of violence. We are also seeing the fulfillment of what First and 2 Timothy Speak of where it says, in the last days you will see things such as people abandoning the truth, the doctrine of demons, lawlessness, immorality, many shipwrecking the faith. A verse that says they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires to hear what their itching ears want to hear. Like Andy Stanley is doing today with saying that it's okay to be a homosexual like he did recently when he had two married gay men speaking at his conference. Zechariah 13 and 14. What we saw earlier about Jerusalem surrounded by armies, houses ransacked. But I want us all to turn to Luke chapter 21. Again, Jesus' hermeneutics. In Luke 21, Jesus speaks of some of the things that We can expect as his return gets more imminent, closer. Luke 21, verse 7, we begin, Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they are about to take place? Talking about the end of the age. Verse 8, Luke 21, 8, he replied, Watch out that you are not deceived. You know what deception is? Deception is when you think something's right and it's not. Most people deceived don't know they're deceived. That's why they're deceived. They need truth to and light to come and expose the darkness and the deception. Oh, all roads lead to God. We're going to all go to heaven. That's deception. Certain issues of morality, well, God's going to understand. He'll accept, won't He? I mean, I know that's written in the Bible, but, you know, we're in a different day and time. That's deception. God's Word, God's truth trumps what we feel or what we think or what is acceptable in our culture what the supreme court says and so you 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 can go along with with cultural trends but if you're wrong there's going to be consequences for you god is true to his word and praise god he's made clear in his word what is right and what is wrong so he says watch out that you're not deceived many will come in my name claiming i am he and the time is near do not follow them when you hear of wars and Revolutions do not be frightened. Notice how many times he mentions anxiety, fear, because those are the things that can grip us. We need to be careful that we don't allow the news and what's going on to cause us to, to shriek into fear and anxiety. Again, that's a battle. We all have to battle with that, and we've got to take it to the Lord. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Aren't you glad he told us these things? Hello, church. Aren't you glad that he didn't leave us in the dark? I sure am. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places, fearful events, and great signs from heaven. We had a cool eclipse yesterday. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. Is it going to be easy, guys? No. Praise God he's told us so we can expect it and be strong, courageous. Put on the armor of God. They'll deliver you to synagogues and prisons and you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. So it's going to be bold. We're going to be bold in these times. But make up your mind not to worry. Again, he talks about worry. Beforehand, how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or or counteract. I can't wait for that supernatural power of God manifested in these dark days. You say, David, do you want to go through the tribulation? Not particularly in my flesh, but kind of I do in the spirit, because I think we're going to see signs, wonders, miracles, and the manifestation of God like we've never seen before. So whatever. The bottom line is whatever we go through, God's grace is sufficient. Hallelujah. He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Whatever he calls you to, he'll bring you through. That'll preach. I've never said that before. Whatever he calls you to, he'll bring you through because he's faithful, he's powerful, and he's, he's greater than anything. Verse 16, you will be betrayed even by parents. Oh, what? Brothers, relatives, friends. Some of you may be there right now. Your faith is causing conflict in your family. Love your, your, love your family. Love them. Ask God to give you incredible grace, but don't compromise truth. Stand firm. Always be about the work of the Lord. And they'll put some of you to death. There may be some in this room watching online that are going to be martyred. I'll never forget, I was at a conference, a vineyard conference in the 80s. John Wimber issued an altar call if you believe you're called to be martyred. People flooded to the front. Most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. He was obviously led by the Holy Spirit because I don't think he planned to like. I'm going to give an altar call for martyrdom today. (laughs) But I'm telling you, man, people came. I mean, there was a flood of the Holy Spirit that went through that room. Unbelievable. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Wait, you just said some are going to die. Some are, but others their hair of their heads not going to perish. It's not an either or. It's both them. By standing firm, you'll gain life. Are you going to stand firm? You know, I wonder, man, I wonder if ten years from now we could assemble this exact group that's here today. How many are still walking with Jesus? Verse 20, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Verse 34, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. I mean, don't we all struggle with that? Don't we all struggle with the anxieties of life? You watch the news, you see the things on social media, and it can be overwhelming until you put your eyes back on Jesus. Which <laughs> is why he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of the earth and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. Anybody set a trap for a mouse or set a trap for a raccoon? (laughs) They come thinking they're going to get something good. There's the cheese. (laughs) There's the peanut butter. There's the whatever you put in the trap, and then whack! Over. The enemy is laying traps For every one of you at times in life. Don't fall for his traps. Don't fall for his deceptions. Don't believe everything you read in social media. Come on. Go to the Word. Know what the Bible says. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Verse 36. Be always on the watch. Be always on the watch. Don't let down your guard. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is going to happen and that you may be able to, I love this last phrase, stand before the Son of Man. Stand before the Son of Man. No matter what happens, Jesus, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand on your word. I'm going to stand having the armor of God. I'm going to stand on your truth. I'm going to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm not going to give in to temptation. I'm going to quickly repent when I sin. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love others. I'm going to stay connected with the body of Christ. I want to be standing when you return. I don't want to shrink in shame. First John says some will shrink in shame at his coming. Why will they shrink in shame? Because they're going to be lukewarm. They're going to be entertaining sin. They're going to be coddling things that grieve the Holy Spirit. And when he returns, they're going to be absolutely ashamed. Are they true believers? I don't know. All I know is First John says, some will shrink in shame at his coming. I don't want to shrink in shame. I want to be ready. I want to be vigilant. I want to be obedient. Am I perfect? No. But when I fall, man, I want to quickly get up. I want to quickly repent. I want to quickly body slam my issues at the cross of Jesus. I want to be connected with others so they can call me out if I need to be called out because we need to have others to help us in this incredible journey. So, in light of all of this, final point be sure you're right with God and walking close with Jesus. Again, the title God's Heart for Israel, God's Heart for You, God's Heart for the Palestinians, God's Heart for the Muslims. God's heart for the 9-11 people. God's heart for Hamas. God's heart for America and China and every other place. God loves all people. Here's the bottom line. Get right with Jesus. <laughs> be sure you're, you're saved. Be sure you're born again. It's not time to put off getting saved. Today is the day of salvation. It's not time to be lukewarm. It's not time to coddle your sin. It's time to be fully on Full surrender, full obedience. Jesus said, I'll return in a day and hour no one expects. It'll be like in the days of Noah. People are eating, drinking, saying, you know, be cheerful and merry. They'll be doing all this stuff, and then the flood came, and only eight were saved. He said, I'll return in a day and hour you don't expect. Some are going to be asleep at the wheel, some are not going to be vigilant. Whether He returns this afternoon or in another hundred years or thousand years, we should live each and every day loving God with all our hearts, surrendering all to Him, obeying His Word, loving others, sharing the gospel, repenting of any and all sin, making sure that we're dealing with anything in our lives that displeases Him. So Let's review what we've learned today. And I know I've probably raised a lot of questions. We might do a part two next week. I don't know. But God established the Jewish people through His covenant with Abraham. Number two, he gave his people the land of Israel. And that is the current land of Israel plus some other stuff. Number three, God's work with Israel in the Old Testament was all pointing to Jesus. Hallelujah. It is my favorite part right here. I I just, I absolutely love Jesus in the Old Testament. (laughs) It's probably the thing that convinced me the most that this book is divinely inspired. How much Jesus is in the Old Testament. Number four. Salvation is only through Jesus. There's no separate plan for anybody. Five, Israel is still part of God's future plan, and the clock is ticking. (laughs) Number six, God's eschatological plan is increasingly being fulfilled. Prophecy after prophecy are coming to fruition right before our very eyes. And number seven, be sure you're right with God and walking close with Jesus. Let me ask you a final question before we go to a prayer time. What in your life right now would Jesus be displeased with if he came back today? It's a good question. I need to ask, my own, I ask myself that question. If Jesus came back today at 2 o'clock, you have an hour and 50 minutes. If he came back at 2 p.m. today, Eastern Standard Time, what in your life would he be grieved by? First of all, do you know him? Would he call you his own? Would he call you his child, his son, his daughter? Have you received Christ? Have you been born again? Have you been saved? Any doubt about that today, get it settled. And if you are a true child of God through faith in Christ, is there, are there one or two things that you kind of, it may not be some big, terrible sin. I mean, if it is a big sin and it's pretty obvious, man, absolutely, Repent. His mercy and grace will forgive you. That's the the good news of the gospel. He doesn't just forgive to get you in his family. This is the beauty about the blood of Jesus. It cleanses you initially, and it cleanses you consistently. (laughs) Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that he cleanses you initially and gives you a new heart, and then when you stray, which we all do, he continually cleanses you. Praise God for his grace. Oh, praise God for his mercy. It's new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And so... But it could be a small area. It could be an area of just compromise or lukewarmness or just worldliness. But allow the Lord today to do His beautiful, mercy and truth search of your life. That if there is something today that you need to just surrender afresh, do that. Well, Father, we love you and thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you that where it still leaves us questioning, that's okay. We're not going to know everything. We see in a mirror (laughs) dimly. Then face to face. And Help us be okay with mystery. Help us be okay with questions and things that maybe we haven't fully figured out. Uh, But thank you that your Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth as we seek you. I want to encourage prayer team people to go some to the salvation banner and others to the mercy banner. If today you need to receive Christ, I want to encourage you to go to the salvation banner right now. Get out of your seat. Go and pray with somebody at the salvation banner over here to my right. To Pray and give your heart and life to Jesus. If you're watching online, you can, you can pray A simple prayer, if it's the sincerity of your heart, such as this, it's just to guide you. Lord Jesus, I need you. I acknowledge that, that I've sinned and I've gone away from you. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for my sin, shedding your blood. I now turn from my sin and I receive you in my life. I open the door and I say, Come in, Jesus. Forgive me and change me. Come in to not only be my Savior, but my Lord, my Master. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Some here maybe need to receive Christ. Again, encourage you to go right now to the salvation area and pray with somebody now to receive Christ. Be sure that you're born again and you're a true child of God through faith in Christ alone. There may be others here that you're saved, but you do have some areas that grieve the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to go to my left, this mercy banner. Either go and pray on your own behind it, on your knees, or pray with somebody from the prayer team if there's something that you need them to pray with you about. You know, the Bible says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. You don't have to get into a long counseling session, but you may just say, you know what? been looking at porn, I've been sleeping with my girlfriend, I've been lying, or I've not been in the Word. God's convicted me of this area of worldliness, or putting too much time into a hobby. Whatever God shows you, I encourage you, just go to that area. We're going to give you about five minutes to make sure that your heart is surrendered to Jesus. And then others of you may want to come to the front and just pray by yourself at these steps for Israel, for the situation in the Middle East. We're commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Commanded to pray for our leaders. So, church, don't sit on your butt. It's time to take action. It's time to be active. So, front and center, praying for the situation in the Middle East, salvation to my right, to my left. If there's just some areas you maybe need to surrender to God, Holy Spirit, come now and just flow through this room. Let us be the church, the active church, not the sit on our duffs church not the mediocre church not the lukewarm church but the church that gets your heart gets your mind give us your heart God for people give us your heart for Israel give us your heart for Hamas give us your heart for Palestinians give us your heart for Muslims oh God we cry out to you Holy Spirit come move in this place we pray God refine us refine us we might bear more fruit. Prune us, Lord. Fill us, Holy Spirit. You respond as God leads you. you got plenty of time. Some need to be saved. Some need to repent. The Bible says repent that times of refreshment may come from the Lord. Repentance leads to refreshment. Repentance leads to cleansing, and renewing.